Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I was saying is uh, on our three-minute warm-up here in the, the mothership, the original OGs of Know Your Risk Radio, 770 KTTH listeners here in Seattle. And for our new, our new family and friends down there in Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, excited to be in that, in that market. Um, I was actually speaking to the uh, couple of the guys at the radio station down there in Dallas. And they're like, yeah, why'd you want to get in the Dallas market? And I thought, well, you know, faith, family, football, uh, we're not from Texas, but I know that those are <laughs> faith, family, and football. Th- those are family values in Texas. And I just figured we'd fit right in. Um, <clears throat> no. So anyway, excited to be there. And, um, uh, Again, got a great show planned for you, but I will. I am recording this on Tuesday, and it is because I'm going to be in Las Vegas uh, through the end of the week. I leave tomorrow, be there through the end of the week. <clears throat> I am on the board, um, and several, many board clients have invested in this company. I've personally invested. In, I'm on the board of a small audio technology company based out of the Seattle area, and uh, we got some really exciting things going on. And um, it's really culmination of a lot of hard work. We've been involved with this company for five years. When I say hard work, we've done some hard work on the money raising side, but I'm speaking more to the team at the company. Uh, it's called Tectonic Audio Labs. And um, they're just incredible guys. And and um, I think within this next year, I think broad markets and consumers all across the United States and for that matter of the world are going to be able to hear our technology in, in service. We've got a lot of big deals percolating with very large companies. Um, we've got some very unique and very groundbreaking technology in the audio space. And um, so I'm going to be down there kind of like as a proud parent, um, you know, is talking to different folks at some of these different companies and things like that. The wife's going to be with me. So I'll be in Vegas. So I had to record the show on Tuesday and uh, but, but I think it's a good setting, you know, be- beginning of the year, Obviously, not too much noise. Markets are slightly down on the year, but effectively flat. We're actually having a really good start, um, which is nice. After last year, that was like getting flogged over and over. But yeah, markets down what one percent on the year, something like that. Our value fund is up five. I think overall, our portfolios are up like one and a half. Our momentum fund is, I think, flat, something like that. Um, but yeah, it, you know, in the value portfolio, man, I'll take a five percent start to the year after last year. Just, whew, just didn't go anywhere. Just sat there in neutral. All year long. So a lot of fun. Uh, so anyway, I think there's a perfect opportunity to kind of cover some general stuff that's not so much market today focus. But we still have the market update. And I think there's plenty of good stuff in there. An old friend of ours appeared in the news again. Good old Boeing out of Seattle. And again, for those of you that are new to the show, you especially those in Texas, I well, and, and in Phoenix and in California as well. Um, I'm, you, you, we weren't down there in those markets then, so you didn't hear this. But at the end of 2018, if, if you can think about it and remember back, there was a bloodletting at the end of 2018, is right before Christmas, and and the and the culmination of it was on Christmas Eve. Funny story about that. Sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. So we actually outperformed. I think we were up five percent in 2018. Market was down like six. And the reason we outperformed was because we were hedged that last month. And so while the market was getting smacked, and I'm talking, I think it drew down like 20% between the end of November and uh, Christmas Eve. So don't quote me. It was something like that. A pretty nasty uh, uh, lead up into Christmas there. And we were hedged uh, because the Fed was raising rates, you know, didn't. And <clears throat> there was a flush on Christmas. And I remember my trader calls me Christmas Eve. Trader calls me right before market closed. It was like 940. And he's like, any trades? And I go, yeah, sell the hedges. And he's like, you sure? And I go, yeah, I just, 
you know, we're up 5%. We're going to finish positive on the year. Market's down. I don't want to be hedged. The volumes are too thin between Christmas and, and, and New Year's, whatever. Sell it. Thank God we did because the market ripped the week between Christmas and New Year's. So sometimes you better to be lucky. Anyway, long story short, one of the companies that had performed amazingly up until that point was Boeing. And so Boeing got smashed and we bought a position. And I had long stayed out of it because the valuation didn't make any sense to me. Remember, if you remember, you know, Boeing was trading at like, you know, almost like three, no, geez, three, three and a half times revenue or something like that. An industrial manufacturing company trading at like 33, 34 times earnings. It just didn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's a good business in the sense that, you know, the United States is their biggest buyer, right? They're, 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 you know, they own Lockheed Martin. Um, yeah, it's Lockheed, isn't it? Northrop Grumman? Northrop? No, I think it's Lockheed. Um, yeah, it's Lockheed. And, and you know, they do have these advantages, but but it, it it's a business that's exposed to every single supply chain risk, right? It's a business that's horrifically exposed to inflation. Uh, labor is tricky, right? Unions, all these, it's just not a good, it's not a good business in the terms of the type of business it is. So anyway, but it got it got drilled at the end of the year, and I'm sitting there going, "Well, you know, a slight rate raise by the Fed isn't going to drop demand for Boeing planes off the markets." So we bought a little piece, <clears throat> and it started doing really well. But I was thinking about buying more. Well, if I'm going to make it an investment, right? I've talked about this. It, one of the things we do here every time is if we're going to make a move and we're going to buy something or sell something, the first question I ask all my guys is: "This a trade or an investment?" Right? And those are two very different things. Trading gets a bad rap from a lot of investment people. It shouldn't. If you know what you're doing, it's a wonderful way to add some juice to a portfolio. And if you do it correctly, you can do it without adding a lot of risk too. It, 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 take my word for it. Some of the best money managers in the world have been traders, guys that have averaged 30% a year. So now I haven't averaged 30% a year, but my point is, <clears throat> and the way you do that with trading, now granted, it's very complicated and very complex, but generally speaking, one of the easiest ways to do with trading is have entry and exit um, uh, points picked out ahead of time, right? You're trading because you think an event or something is going to happen. And the way to do that, well, there's, again, it's very complex, but in a very simple way to look at it, one of the easiest ways to not get in trouble is to have very defined rules. For instance, I will buy it at, at this level and as long as it stays above it, if it drops below that level, I will sell out. Or I will buy it here and I will hold it till it hits this level and I will sell out predetermined rules and you stick to those rules no matter what. Now you can, a trade can turn into an investment, right? That can happen, but it requires a much deeper level of research, right? If you're going to buy a company in size and hold it, you need to know what you own. So we started that homework process on Boeing and I was going to increase the size of it. Well, funny enough, that research over the course of the next two to three months actually led me to sell my Boeing stock and go short it, not in client accounts, but in personal accounts. And this was right because I can't outright short an individual stock in client accounts. It's a nightmare. Um, and this led me to do a radio show on Boeing. And that radio show, I believe, aired, and you can still go back and find it, make sure I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, I believe that oh, that aired on March 1st, 2019. The second plane went down on my birthday, March 6th, 2019. <clears throat> so what we found though, I don't want to call it a, a culture of corruption because I don't think it was corrupt, but what we found was a management team and a board that was managing the stock price, not the company. Everything was about the stock price. And so what they were doing is they were effectively stripping out, right, it's it's and when I say you can manage a stock price or you can manage a company, <clears throat> there's a lot of things you can do to a company that will make its earnings and margins look better for a period of time, but it's not sustainable, right? And so one of the biggest things that we realized when looking at Boeing is the big story with Boeing is they had this great management team that had leaned down their operation and increased margins. They hadn't done that. What they'd been doing is deferring costs, right? So when you defer costs out. It makes everything in the interim look better, but that deferral keeps growing and it becomes a bigger and bigger risk and liability. An example of this, 
one of the interviews I did with a Boeing employee that had been a senior accounting executive with the company for 31 years. And I met with her for probably three and a half, three and a half hours. And she was walking me through all the different things they do, not divulging anything that was, you know, get her in legal trouble or violate her, <clears throat> her contract with the company, but just, you know, walking me through how they do things. And she goes, Zach, there's so many instances of buildings that need roof repairs that they're just pushing off. And she goes, I went to management at one point and said, guys, if you do this this year, it's going to cost two and a half million. If you wait for two to three years down the road, I can't remember when it was, but they were planning to defer it out. She goes, if you wait that long, that two to three million goes to 35 million. They're like, that's a problem for another day. We'll worry about that another day. There were HVAC units that had been out on factory floors for extended periods of time that weren't being repaired or fixed because we didn't want to pay the costs. There was maintenance that was not, not being ignored, but there were just stories of these over and over and over. And every person I talked to at the company, whether they were in engineering, whether they were in the flight maintenance crews that work with the airlines at the actual airports, you know, helping them with maintenance, keeping the things on track, whether it was people in, you know, like I said, engineering, but also airplane design. We talked to people in the machinists, every part, we had interviewed seven different employees at all different parts of the company. And they all said the same thing. First of all, they all knew the number. I believe it was 450. $450 $450 a share. I believe that that's what they were aiming for. Four or 450. They all knew that number. It was communicated in every single company communication. They all knew. Everybody was constantly talking about the stock. And then when you looked at the way they were managing the company, you could see what they were doing. They were just, they were stripping the thing. You know, they were strip, just stripping it out. Maximizing the short-term gains. And, and what concerned me so much which should also concern you is I don't get as worried about a apparel manufacturer doing that. I get a little bit worried about airplane companies doing that. And then on top of it, the way they covered it up and the way the, the thing, the way the government let that whole airplane crash kind of go aside and blame it on this. It, it, it was, it, it was, that was corrupt. And, and I mean that in form of our government. The story that the public got regarding Boeing was a joke, okay? It, the, those planes were falling out of the air because of what management was doing. And I'm not saying that they made a design. It was the approach, right? It was Band-Aids instead of fixing a problem to maximize profits. And here's the thing. Everybody thinks Boeing took its lumps and it's come out. They, they haven't changed it. They, all they did was get rid of the CEO, the board of directors is exactly the same. I talked to my clients and my contacts there at Boeing. They're still pressing the stock price. They're back to doing the exact same thing. So in mid-flight the other day, and I'm not saying these two things are correlated. I'm just saying it's not a well-run company. It's just not. And and, and, and it amazes me how it keeps sucking people in. People are like, oh, the stock's still way off its highs. Well, go look at the enterprise value of it. Yeah, I think it's got 30 billion more in debt. I mean, I'd have to go look, but I think it's had still got 30 or 40 million billion more in debt than it had in 2019 because all the debt it had to take on because of, <clears throat> you know, because of all the issues. And so you look at the enterprise value of the company and its financials are nowhere near where they were in 2018. The enterprise value is almost back to its high, right? Debt plus market cap. It, I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to short it. Not at these levels, but look, if you're a longtime Boeing person, I, be careful. It's, it's not a good company, not with this management in place. And all they did, none of that, none of the idiocy that got them in that mess. And look, some of it, everybody's like, it wasn't their fault. Yes, it was. It was 100% their fault. Like I said, I don't think the planes crashed for criminal liability reasons, but it was just shortcuts, right? For instance, Let's look at the 737 MAX, right? Remember, everybody was blaming that software system they put on there. Well, why did they have to put that new software system? It was called the MCAS. Why did they have to put that on the plane? They had to put it on the plane because the character, the the behavior of the plane changed due to the design changes they made to it. And the reason, so it's a seven, so the 737 chassis didn't change at all, but they put on 
bigger engines, which requires different things to happen. Well, that chassis wasn't built for that. Okay. So when they retrofitted it to make it get better gas mileage, they changed the way the, the airplane behaved. So to override those behavioral changes, they put in the software system and they did all of that because all of that was substantially cheaper than actually building a new airplane and going through the FAA approval process and, and doing all that. Right. So the whole thing, the reason you got there, they, they blame the software. The software was on there because they were cutting corners. Period. They, they didn't need the software on the regular 737, but it wasn't the regular 737 because they maxed it, right? To get better, you know, and higher margins, right? Now they can sell a new airplane that didn't have any of the costs associated with the other new airplanes they had to design. So again, it's not criminally negligent. I don't want to get caught, you know, libeling them or anything like that, you know, or defamation, actually, libel is written, but... um and I'm not saying that they're horrible. I'm just saying it's not a good management team. I wouldn't trust it as far as I could throw it. The valuations don't make any sense. Uh, people are like, well, look at the backlog. Guys, everybody's been saying, look at the backlog for as long as I can remember. Guess what happens to backlogs when economies slow down? The backlogs vanish. You can't make somebody take a $200 million product, right? Especially when you're selling to other governments in many cases, right? If the money dries up, the backlog dries up with it. You can rest assured. So anyway, they're back in the news, got that. And, and again, I'm not saying it's from negligence or anything like that. I don't know why that airplane door popped off. I'm just saying it's yet another reminder, you know, everybody just creeps trying to resurrect this thing. And until I see drastic changes in management, until I hear different managing actually going on at the company, it's amazing to me how many people will get on the radio or TV and talk about a company that you, they get 10 minutes in their conversation. And that's the way Boeing is. I listen to these people, you know, I, I don't have a CFA. I'm not some, you know, forensic accountant, but you listen to them talk and I'm like, well, you have never talked to anybody from the company sitting up here talking about all your opinions. You don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, I don't know how rigorous your research <laughs> practices, but if it doesn't include speaking to anybody at the company, right? If all you're doing is just regurgitating what the CEO says on the conference call, you're probably not getting very good data. Right? It's probably not getting the best information. So anyway, don't get sucked into that whole nonsense. That's all a bunch of garbage. Uh, other interesting things. I kind of went off on a Boeing tirade there. You have to forgive me. I just, I, I don't like that company. I love the people that work there. It's an important part of this area that I live in Pacific Northwest. So I, I love what they do for people. I think a lot of people have had great jobs and great retirements. I'm not beating them up. I don't think the people, are but I do think their board of directors and their management are garbage. And there's no way I'm putting a dollar, especially at these prices, you get Boeing down to that 150, 125 range <clears throat> on a valuation level. It starts looking somewhat attractive. I just, again, if I'm looking for valuations and cash flows, I, I even at that level, I could find much better managed and run companies that have, better cash flows. I just, I, I don't like it. So um, other one, <clears throat> we're going to talk about this a little bit in the next segment. Apple downgrades are starting to come in. You're starting to see analysts downgrade them. Um, I'm not sure what took them so long. Um, I don't understand how Apple's record high in stock price and record high valuation hits at the same during the course of them having four consecutive, which is a record, four consecutive losing quarters. And And this is what I'm going to talk about in the next segment is I think people are worried about all of these horrific market outcomes. And I don't think enough people are just looking at the market and the individual stocks. I don't think you need a big disaster to hit for these companies to get run over. I just think you need earnings to come in. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to lay that back in the next segment and kind of list out why we're saying that. But yeah, so you're seeing the Apple downgrades. You're seeing Tesla. The other day, NVIDIA came out and announced they were working on some kind of new GPU or something like that for games or, you know, whatever it seemed like a milk toast announcement. Well, that rallied the stock six, seven percent that day or something like that. And I just think it's fascinating. I'm not going to sit here and say NVIDIA is over, you know, AI is going to be huge. I, we don't really know how that's all going to roll out. I'm just telling you another one, Jim Cramer gift that keeps on giving out there, pound of the table. NVIDIA is still undervalued. Look, he may be right. I, I can't say definitively he's wrong. I don't, I don't know the future. But if NVIDIA isn't overvalued, there never has been a company that is. Okay? It, it, it's ridiculous. And why I say that is 
what's built into the price is the best case scenario on AI and the best case scenario for NVIDIA and the main, the maintaining of virtually no comp. It just, it, and like I said, I can't say definitively is wrong. I don't know the future, you know, for all I know, maybe NVIDIA triples from here over the next three years. I, it's just a joke, but anyway, and, and this is the issue right now. The, this isn't scientific. I don't know where this ends, but this is the issue on that day. When it goes up six and a half percent, the market cap on the company increased by $80 billion on a, on, on an announcement of a, a new, pretty insignificant product and, and not a new flagship, not a groundbreaking, an 80 billion boost in the stock on a single day, tacked on two Fords in a single day, one and a half GM, something like that. I don't know what their market cap is right now. 80 bi- and so you're just reaching this law of large numbers thing on so many of these companies and I don't really ha- hear anybody talking about it. Right like for instance if your thesis is that Apple is going to double over the next 5 years what you're saying is over the next 5 years Apple's business is going to grow to a level that is commensurate to 10% the entire size of our economy. Not that Apple will be 10% of the, it already is. We got a 24 trillion, $25 trillion economy. Apple's got a $3 trillion market cap. But you buy a stock because you believe it's going to grow. So you believe its growth rate over the next five years will be, its growth will be commensurate to 10% the entire size of our economy. NVIDIA launches a new product. Last year, NVIDIA did what? 34 bit, somewhere between, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but somewhere between 30 to 40. 35 billion, I want to say low 30s billion dollars in revenue. The stock went up 80 billion in a day. It went up almost 3x their annual revenue rate in a day because of some new GPU processor they're saying they're bringing out. Not a new AI one, right? Not a new transformational, just kind of like the next evolution of one of their existing processors. And I, it, Again, it's nothing bad or good about the companies. It's just this large number issue where you're looking and going, do you understand what you're saying? Like, to I mean, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's just it's just madness. I and I don't you know. Funny thing about madness is madness can stay mad for a long time. So you know, there's no definitive action there. Um. But anyway, in the next segment, I'm going to get into that because there's a lot more of that stuff. I want to talk about the earnings issue and I want to talk about the conspiracy theories out there and things like that because I think there's a, I don't think you need to be worried about some horrific economic event happening. I think the reality is more certain. Is it possible a horrific economic? Yeah, of course. I mean, look at the board we're looking at here. Look at the geopolitical issues, the inflation issues, debt, deficits, slowing economy, record debts, all these different issues. Yes. But everybody's like, oh, you're a bear. And I'm like, no, it's look at the price you're paying for these companies going into a slowing economy. So I don't think we need to be too dramatic. We're going to get into we're going to get into that in the next segment. Anyway, closing this one up, you know, if if all these things resonate and you realize that your regular mutual fund DTFs own are all loaded up and all this expensive stuff and that concerns you, give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. 2024 has the potential to be a wild ride. Risk management's never been more important. Are you confident your portfolio is protected? Join Bulwark Capital's Zach Abraham for his live 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Todd, with the election looming, continued global unrest, rising cost of living in this crazy market volatility, protecting retirement portfolios has never been more critical, and it's our number one focus. Don't just ride out 2024. Join Zach for his live webinar and learn how they are actively managing every portfolio. We do it with Bulwark's risk management strategy, always seeking opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Don't miss Zach's free 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. 
Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through the break. All right. So I said earlier, in concert with uh, the comments in the in the market update about NVIDIA and Apple, that I, I would get into more of this valuation discussion in the next segment. And this is kind of this is this is the segment that I wanted to do that in and and I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of combining two things here so want to talk about the valuation issues that we're seeing but I want to do it in concert with discussing a lot of the risks that I hear a lot of people talking about and I hear other investors warning about um because like so many other things in our culture and our society today, I think that there is a tremendous amount of noise. I think that there is no shortage of fervently and adamantly expressed opinions. And I think that there is a historically low amount of substance to the vast majority of it. So when I hear P- – and, and I think the truth is actually rather simple. Can a horrible economic occurrence happen? Yeah, at any time. Right? There, when we're dealing with financial markets, there's always the risk of an exogenous threat. There's always the risk of a China invading a Taiwan. There's always the risk of the conflict in the Middle East spiraling out of control and closing the Straits of Hormuz and gold oil going to 250. Those, those risks always exist. And they will come in at times, right? Exogenous risk like that really doesn't freak me out too much because it is what it is. And if you're invested appropriately, it may not be fun, but it shouldn't be life altering, right? You can deal with most of those exogenous threats. Now, there are exogenous threats like universal <laughs> nuclear war, in which case, like, I, like I've said before, if you can't hedge a risk, there's no sense in worrying about it, right? Meaning, you know, what, what do you do about nuclear war? There's not much. You, know, you hope you're in the area that doesn't get hit. Um, and so I hear a lot of these threats. I hear economists online talking about – I heard a guy named Harvey Dent recently who's been – and I think Harvey's actually a, a pretty smart guy. He called the housing crash correctly, and he's been calling for another crash for years, and he's talking about an 80% market decline. Um, I hear people talking about banks going under. I hear people talking about government seizing the cash in our bank accounts. I hear about all these other things. Look, I'm never going to tell you that any of those things are impossible. I don't think much is impossible these days in terms of the extent and the and the lunacy that elected officials will go to to service their own desires, their own interests, or or just to maintain the status quo. Right? It's one of the one of the interesting frustrations I see is I think a lot of people think, and I would agree with them wholesale, that in so many ways our country is really off the, the rails, right? Um why don't these changes happen? Because you've got a group of people in power where the status quo works for them. It works great. You know, for instance, you don't hear many billionaires talking about the unjust system we live in. Why? Because if they're a billionaire, the system must be just. It's made them a billionaire. They're the smartest guy on two legs, right? So what are the things that we should be really concerned about? So I'll have these conversations with our clients. It'll come to me and go, Zach, I heard this, and I heard the banks are going to go under, and I heard they're going to seize all the money in our accounts, and I heard we're not going to be able to own anything, that we're going to have to eat bugs. We're gonna have to... And I go, look, <clears throat> first of all, we can only hedge the risks that we can hedge, meaning if there's no way to hedge a risk, then don't worry about it, right? A, let, but let's let's take a shot. Another one, imminent collapse of the U.S. dollar. So let's take a look at a couple of these. And I don't want to delve deep into it because I think we've we've touched on every one of those theories, every one of those threats. Will the dollar collapse? Eventually, yes. It will do what all fiat currency does. It, 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 it collapses. Eventually, that will happen. The question is, like my grandfather always used to say to me, 
Zachary, just because something is inevitable doesn't make it imminent, right? So if we're preparing for a dollar collapse, it doesn't happen for another 60 years, then we're probably wasting our time, okay? Now, at some point, like I said, the dollar will be devalued, but if it ever gets really spicy, if you have a hyper if remember, people are like, well, hyper okay, if you step back and you think about it, it is very hard to have hyperinflate to, to have a, the dollar collapse the way people talk about it. You cannot have the dollar collapse without there being a new reserve, reserve currency. So what is that reserve? Well, they're going to make one, but they haven't yet. Okay. And, and here's the other thing I want you to remember. When you're talking about the economic center of the world and the greatest military power in the world, they includes them. Right. So they will not create a new global reserve currency without the participation of the United States. And I will guarantee you this. The dollar will be a significant, if not the largest part of that new reserve currency, at least in the interim. If, if they were to do this in the next five to 10 years, they can't do it without the dollar. Here's the other thing. You can't just replace currencies, guys. The whole world is plumbed for U.S. dollars. There are hundreds of trillions of dollars of debt that's denominated in U.S. dollars. You cannot just turn it off. It, it'd be, you, you would, it, trying to do that would collapse the entire financial system. Okay, so anybody that tells you that, that there is an imminent collapse of the U.S. dollar and they're going to go to this currency, that, just listen, you can lose a bunch of money listening to them or you can just take it from me right now and avoid all that mess. It is not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because of the soundness of our fiscal stability or our fiscal situation. The reason it's not going to happen is not because of the faith that I have in our elected officials. The reason it's not going to happen is because we're still the cleanest dirty shirt. If you tell me the dollar is going to collapse, what what you mean is that the majority of people in the financial system, the majority of people in the world are going to sell U.S. dollars and purchase something else. Well, what is that? People go, well, it's going to be Bitcoin. Nope. It's not going to be Bitcoin. You know why? Because you can't pay your taxes in Bitcoin. Okay. Governments don't want to take Bitcoin. Okay. It's not going to be Bitcoin. Here's the other thing. All those people talking about Bitcoin is going to be the future currency. Not so. Why? It's a, it's a deflationary asset. Meaning inflation is not a bad thing. If it's kept in check, right? You actually need a monetary base to expand over time. You just want it to happen in a rhythmic and consistent way, right? We've all heard it's not the nominal number, but it's the rate of change. Meaning if you're inflating at two to 3% a year over the course of 20 years, not a big deal. It's actually probably healthy. It's actually the kind of inflation that typically accompanies growth, a growth cycle, right? Right, as more money is made, people have more purchasing power, they're willing to spend a little bit more on goods. You can just see how it feeds through. Okay. <clears throat> but if you have a currency like Bitcoin that cannot expand, it's what we refer to as a deflationary currency, meaning it will actually your you, your purchasing power in the terms of Bitcoin will go up, but just think about it. What if your home loan, let's just say Bitcoin was the currency of the day. Okay, and let's say five years ago you took out a home loan in Bitcoin. And let's say Bitcoin, I don't know where it was five years ago, was it a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks? And now remember that loan is denominated in Bitcoin. And so instead of owing five hundred and you know, I don't know, six hundred thousand dollars, let's say, on that house you purchased five years ago. Uh geez, five years ago now, geez, 2024, geez, back 2019. Okay, so let's go seven years, ten, 10 years ago. Okay, 20, let's call it 2014. You buy a house. And use Bitcoin. And let's say Bitcoin was at a thousand bucks at that time, right? So Bitcoin is what you borrowed, right? It's the new currency. It's replaced the dollar. Okay. So that means if you're buying a $600,000 house and Bitcoin's trading at a thousand at a, at a bucks, you borrowed 600 Bitcoin. Okay. Bitcoin is now trading at 46,000. Well, you still owe 600 Bitcoin. How much money do you owe? What, what, would, they, what would that be? That that six hundred thousand dollar house you purchased now now in terms of dollars you're gonna have to six hundred bitcoin at forty th- what is that two point four million no it's more than that forty cheese yeah six hundred at four what is that twenty four million 
But do you see my point? That's why Bitcoin, now I'm not saying Bitcoin won't be worth something. I'm not saying it won't be an increasingly valuable asset. I'm not a huge fan just because there are no cash flows with it. I, I, we own a little bit in our client accounts. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go much higher. It's just digital. I, We've talked about that. I don't want to get stuck in a Bitcoin argument about it. We've talked about it several times. I don't think if you own a little bit, it's a bad thing. I do think these people that are loading up on it, thinking it's going to be the way that they get rich. Um, so could it be a, an enduring financial asset? Sure. Is it going to ever take over the US dollar? Not a chance. It just it doesn't work that way. You have to have You have to have a currency that can devalue over time or it would be an economic disaster, right? Um, and, and it's one of those reasons, and am I a fan of some type of gold standard or some kind of backing of a currency? Absolutely. It's like a report card, right? It, because when all of a sudden the government needs to go out and buy more gold, let's use gold as, for instance, to maintain that backing, right? Maintain that percentage, you know, whatever, they, you know, whatever they peg that value at. When they go out and have to buy that gold, it's like a report card. It tells us that they've been spending too much. Right. It also costs them money. Right. It's a, it's a report card. It's, it's accountability is good for everybody. That being said, for a currency that is running a complex economy, you need it to be an inflationary asset. It has to be able to expand as the economy grows. Has to. Okay. So th- that's that's one threat. Right. Now, all the banks going under, if you're buying into that, I don't know what to tell you. For 15 years, you've seen the only banks go under, the ones that the Fed has decided to let go under. And I think the people that don't understand this is you you, you think about – I don't think you're thinking about money as being fungible, meaning any bank, regardless of how big of a disaster their balance sheet is, enough printed money on their balance sheet makes them solvent. Okay, And more importantly – because we repealed Glass-Steagall and was it was it 98 or 99 we repealed Glass-Steagall it's one of my favorite stories ever right we repeal a a law that was written in the shadow of the great depression that realized the mistakes that were made during the great depression and it said that commercial banks personal banks investment banks and insurance companies all need to be separate right Well, isn't it funny that we repealed that law, I believe, in 99, and we had the first significant financial crisis since the Great Depression, since that law had been put in act, we had our first significant financial crisis within eight years of the the repealing of that law. So what you can think about is because they made the banking sector effectively the wild, wild west and repealed that legislation that didn't let them turn into giant conglomerates. You simultaneously kind of had the Fed forced to backstop the big banks because they're letting them engage in something that helped create the Great Depression, certainly helped create the 0809 financial crisis. And now you're going to allow that, right? You're going to allow that system to persist. If you're going to do that, then you also have a moral responsibility to underwrite the banks, the major ones. Now, would I tell you you won't see more regional bank failures? I I would be shocked if you don't see more regional bank failures this year. I don't think you're going to see a rash of them because the Fed will backstop them too, right? Go back to Silicon Valley Bank. How many banks went under? Was it two or three? Okay. You could have seen that number climb into the hundreds had had they left it alone, right? But they're not going to. They printed $350 What's easier? Print $350 and put it in a put it in a vehicle, bail the banks out or watch the economy collapse. And everybody, you know what I mean? It's it just, it's not going to happen. And they're like, well, they can't control everything with a bank. They can, like I said, it doesn't matter what the liabilities are. If you can print money and there's no limit on how much money you can print, then it doesn't matter how ridiculously cattywampus the bank's balance sheet gets. It doesn't matter how much nonsense they buy. You can put enough money on the balance sheet to make them solvent. And when you can print that money out of thin air with no constraints. So, so I, I think we as, we as investors need to realize that bank can end up financially worthless, but it's not going to go away. Right? Meaning it may be something that no 
rational-minded investor would ever want to touch, but it's not going to go bankrupt. They're not going to take the money out of your accounts. And everybody's like, well, the banks need the money. They got a shortage of money. They're Fed member banks, guys. The Fed has the printing press. They don't need to confiscate your money. They don't need to take the ass. Now, what you now, what I do think, and I don't think it's likely, but I think it could happen. They're not going to take your money. They're not going to steal your accounts. They may make you buy things you don't want to buy. Ah, there's a turn, right? It's called financial repression. And what's interesting about that, I take a little sip there. What, what's interesting about financial repression is in some ways we've already done it. Zero percent interest rates are, are a form of financial repression, right? It forces you to do, you, you're forced to adjust and, 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 and deal with that. It's not hardcore financial repression, but this is where it gets interesting because the U.S. government is currently running about a $2.1 trillion deficit, which means they have to issue $2.1 trillion of debt a year to finance themselves. $2.1 trillion is a lot of money, they, right? That deficit is going to grow. That means that $2.1 trillion deficit will probably go to $2.8 to $3 trillion in the next recession. And it'll probably keep growing after that, right? So you're reaching a critical point here that, that numbers just don't work, meaning there aren't enough buyers out there to soak up that much debt. So at some point, the Fed will have to start buying it. and. A part of their strategy, now this is not conspiracy theory, this is exactly what Japan did from the late, well, they've been doing it for several years, but they ran their quantitative easing, their debt buying uh, so long that I think they now own something like 70 to 80% of all government issued debt the Bank of Japan bought. Okay, so we've seen this happen before. And in our situation, though, is a little bit different because of that deficit aspect, you know, the deficit aspect of it and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but the numbers of, and, and, and the numbers, the sheer numbers were so much bigger than Japan, right? So you're just running out of buyers. So I don't think it's out of the question. And I think it's entirely possible that we may once see a mandate. So anybody that opens an IRA, anybody can open an IRA, but whatever money you put in it, 30% of that money must be allocated to US government debt. That's possible. But there's just no reason for them, like, right? No one, and here's why. A, like I said, they've got access to the printer. But remember, as long as we've got elections in this country, I mean, talk about an easy way to lose an election, right? If you're the guy in charge, when you start seizing everybody's investment accounts, you ain't getting reelected, man. And I don't care what party you're in. I don't care what, I don't care who it is. You won't get reelected because all the next guy has to do is run on a platform of giving you back your money, right? <laughs> so it's just not going to happen. And then on top of it, like I said, they don't need it. They just have the Fed print it. They're not going to grab your money. But what we do, but here's the thing. So I see so many conspiracy theories going around. Dollar's going to collapse and the BRICS currency and da, da, da. And I'll repeat it again. You hear, you hear rumors of these other BRICS currencies and hear that they're not doing that because they're worried about the dollar crashing. They're worried about the dollar going up. And if you think that's complete nonsense, then I please listen to some of our other shows and answer me this. If that is not true, if what I'm saying is not true, explain 2022 to me. In 2022, we had the highest realized inflation we've had since the 70s. And yet the dollar rallied to a 23-year high. How'd that happen? Well, if, if, you're, if you're a knowledge-seeking person and you're somewhat fair-minded, I think you can acknowledge that that is a pretty big blight on the record of those people calling for a crash in the dollar. The highest realized inflation in 40 years, the dollar soars. Why is that? Because it's the world reserve currency. Meaning when things start to get dicey, it's what everybody reaches for. If you got a corporation in Kenya that wants to do a loan with a corporation in the Middle East or, or whatever, they're probably going to denominate that loan in U.S. dollars. Why? Neither party trusts the other side's currency. Right. So what happens when that, so when, so if you, if you've got it, let's say you got a company in Latin America 
and you don't trust any of these people's currency, so all your debt is located in dollars and you see signs of economic issues or the economy slowing down, what are you going to do? You're going to start stockpiling the same currency that you're required to service your debt in, right? To make sure that you stay solvent, that you stay viable. So the dollar doesn't really trade like a currency anymore. It basically trades like currency land volatility. When things get dicey, the dollar goes up. It's just mechanics, right? It's understanding the plumbing of the system and how it actually works. And we see all of these issues and all these conspiracy theories and everybody wringing their hands. And at the same time, I don't really hear people talking about valuations. Here's a real issue that you're facing. Okay. And I think that, that, and I think that that issue for a lot of portfolios and for a lot of stocks is I, I, I think we'll see if it bears out. I think that risk is going to come into the fore this year. And why do I say that? You got a market trading at 26, 27 times earnings. Okay. And then let's look at the backdrop. You got, you got, you know, inflation has pulled back, but the prices are still where they're at, right? Remember, a pullback in inflation just means that prices aren't going up as fast. They're still going up. So you've got that specter of inflation still looming. It's still there. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And you've got a situation where all of so many of these stocks have gone to the moon and you've got analysts and the stock prices themselves reflecting the idea that the profitability and the earnings levels are going to go back to 2021 levels, right? Which is the record. Look, guys, I don't know the future and can't see the future. And my crystal ball balls as cloudy as anybody. That is a bet. I'll, I'll take the opposite side of that bet every single day. And so I think that people need to be far less concerned about all these conspiracy theories, which most of them are incredibly nonsensical. And a lot of them are based in fact, right? Like, so you're like, the dollar is going to collapse when I understand why somebody comes to that conclusion and eventually they will be right. Eventually, but eventually can be a really long time. You can go broke eventually, right? So this real threat though, that is staring us all in the face and so many people don't even recognize it are these valuations. And I don't think people, the other day I was talking about that NVIDIA. NVIDIA said some new price. It wasn't a big deal. It was just some, oh yeah, we're also going to launch this game or this, this graphics card for this thing or whatever. It's kind of just an ancillary announcement. The stock goes up six, 7%, which equates to an $80 billion increase on their market cap in a day. The valuations on so many of these tech companies, which most of you own a disproportionate amount of, whether you know it or not. No, Zach, I don't own I own a mutual fund. Well, pop the hood on that mutual fund. If that mutual fund was up more than 15% last year, I will flat out guarantee you that you've got somewhere between 35 to 45% of the assets in that mutual fund invested in those tech companies. Okay, it's flat out guaranteed. It's the only way you got it. Okay. So we... These stocks are more owned than ever before, and you've got this valuation specter staring in your face. In the face, you look at the earning. Like I've told you guys before, earnings yield on the S and P for the first time in the last forty or fifty years, the earnings yield on the S and P is lower than the Fed funds rate. Which means, now look, it is possible. It's never happened before, but it is possible that those stocks could end up over the long run being a better bet. Okay, but it's never happened that way, and it shouldn't. Think about it. When the earnings yield of the S&P 500 is lower than the Fed funds rate, what you're doing, buying stocks, is you're saying, I would prefer to like make less money and take more risk. So I hear all of these, these, these conspiracy theories. This is going to happen. This is going to crash. They're going to take my money, da, 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 on and on and on. And all the while, I'm sitting here staring at the underlying reality going, Dude, you got bigger problems and they're staring you right in the face. And if you recognize those issues, if those if those same kinds of things concern you, then give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Guys, we do it every day. We can actually increase the upside of your portfolio, lower your cost, and drastically lower your risk. We're also fundamental active managers, which means our portfolio is chock full of dividend-paying stocks that are trading at ridiculously low valuations with beautifully clean balance sheets. 
wasn't a lot of fun last year, but our value portfolio is almost, what is it, four and a half, five percent already up this year? Now, again, we're a week and a half into it. I'm not standing on that. I'm just saying there's a simple way to avoid that known threat, which is absolutely known, staring you in the eyes. You got Microsoft, you got mega cap companies trading at 15, 16 times revenues, which is insane. You got companies on a rumor going up 80, 90 billion in market cap in a day. Let's worry about the known risks. Let's make sure that what we can control, we're taking care of. And if that interests you, which in this backdrop, I would strongly suggest it should, give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Thanks for listening today. We will be back next week. As always, have a wonderful weekend. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. 2024 has the potential to be a wild ride. Risk management's never been more important. Are you confident your portfolio is protected? Join Bulwark Capital Zach Abraham for his live 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Todd, with the election looming, continued global unrest, rising cost of living in this crazy market volatility, Protecting retirement portfolios has never been more critical, and it's our number one focus. Don't just ride out 2024. Join Zach for his live webinar and learn how they are actively managing every portfolio. We do it with Bulwark's risk management strategy, always seeking opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Don't miss Zach's free 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results.